Hey, welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman. John Ledyard's joining me today. We're going to call this Conversations with John Ledyard, I think, as our kind of working title here. Because John, <laughs> John, you know, welcome to the show. Um, you know, I'll just, I'll just say this conversation we're going to be talking about today is really about things that we've learned in relationship to our experiences learning about race in America. Mm-hmm. And it's not some, and I, and maybe I'll say that today we're going to probably do this in a, a number of conversations. This is just the first, and we don't know what the schedule will be yet because it's the NFL season and we got priorities, but yeah. we wanted to make this a priority. Um, and we, and we're going to begin really just kind of talking about our formative experiences and what we learned about mm-hmm. race as white kids growing up and yeah. then what 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 we learned that at that point maybe what we had to unlearn and then learn new things with as well mm-hmm. um right. so you know thank you for doing this you know yeah first for sure no i'm i'm thrilled that you asked me i really appreciate the fact that you've asked me i know you and i have had so many conversations over the last couple of years especially about the subject of race and the subject of racism in America, what it looks like, what our experiences were. And you've heard a lot of my story and been gracious enough to hear it and to give me those opportunities when probably my actions at times in the past, even in our interactions we've had, probably didn't necessarily deserve that. But what I really want people to know, if they haven't already turned this off, because they sometimes people hear racism and they like, oh, ah, yeah. yeah, and we'll talk about that too. Like why, you know, th- those walls come up. Not not necessarily that you're willing to agree with everything Matt and I say or everything we've experienced or learned, but just the fact that the walls come up for people and why that is. We'll talk about that. But I don't want people to feel and I know you and I have talked about this. We both feel the same way. We really don't want anybody to feel attacked on this show or attacked because you might have been raised or thought things a certain way or learned things a certain way. Yes, there are things that I've learned and experienced in my life and the ways that I was brought up and in, in, in the culture that I grew up in that I definitely regret and I wish were different. But for most of us, if you're listening to the show and you're somebody who's already been through those things, the most important thing is how we grow from here, how we get better from here. And yes, understanding things that have happened in the past and things that have shaped you in terms of the culture and the environment that you grew up in and how it might have shaped perspective toward people of color, toward black people is very important. I think it's one of the most important self-reflective things that we can understand and process in our world. And I think it's something that every white person should especially look into and look upon themselves to understand and make sure that they've learned and worked through some things and thought through some things. And the reality is, and I'm including myself in this for most of my life, most of us haven't. We have not been challenged in that way. We've not challenged ourselves in that way. So we want this to be a challenge for people, Matt, but we don't want this to be an attack on people. Matt and I are broken. We are broken in this area. We are attempting to become more whole and attempting to understand better, but that will be a lifelong quest for both of us in this area. It's. I know that it's a lifelong quest for me in this area, and I feel very strongly about helping other people start that journey or take another step in that journey of trying to understand some of this stuff, hopefully answer some questions. So all we really ask is come into it with an open mind. Don't feel attacked. Don't feel like we're judging you or want to do anything like that to you or call you out or anything. We just want to talk through some of the things we've experienced. Hopefully you can be like, Oh, me, me too. Like that, that's definitely something I've heard. And hopefully as we talk about how we've learned, how that shaped 
our mindset and our perspective toward people of color, toward black people, especially for, for my uh, situation and example, at least, um, that will help you understand how that maybe that's happened to you. And we can just be honest about that, honest about the fact that we're a little broken in this. We're, we're very broken in this area and we can all start to get better and healed together. That's really our goal for this, right, Matt? Yeah, it's unbelievably well said, John. And that's exactly it because, you know, shame, you know, at the end of the day, if you, if the ideal in our country would be that we want to have relations where we, we can all get along and understand each other. And, and to, and it, it doesn't have to be that we're all friends, but it has to be that yeah. we understand and respect each other and respect our differences and understand that there's value to those differences. Um, that's kind of the beginning point. But in order to do that, we kind of have to understand ourselves and kind of understand where we're coming from because you can't approach trying to be an ally to people of color if you don't understand your own deal. Mm -hmm. and, right. and I think that that's the, the point that we can miss sometimes. And we'll get a little bit more into why that can sometimes go wrong for even people who feel like, look, I'm... I'm always been supportive and I'm not mm -hmm. racist and I'm yeah. colorblind or anything right. that people say that yeah. that can sometimes be a reflection of maybe them not having blind spots mm -hmm. with their own behavior that they had no idea about. And I've seen this repeatedly. So, I mean, you know, if you want, we can, you know, we can do this. However, I mean, I would love mm -hmm. to know just from your standpoint you know, where did you grow up? How yeah. did you grow up? And how did that formulate your understanding of how you saw black mm -hmm. people and people of yeah. color in this country? Yeah. And and, and talking about this, I'll, I'll probably talk about some about my parents and the home and everything that I was raised in and some about even I'll probably talk even a little bit about my religion and, my, and my, I am a Christian and how some of that brokenness in Christianity contributed to this, honestly, like as somebody who who has grown up in the church and how the church actually contributed to a lot of my perspective. Not that I hate the church. I don't hate the church at all. Sure. I'm still a Christian. Like that's still, you know, what I believe, but I do believe there's a lot of brokenness in that area and that pertained to it. And that impacted things as well. I want to say first, before I even dive into this, this stuff shaped me in the way that I grew up and the perspectives and the worldviews I ended up holding as a, as a, as a college kid becoming a young adult. Um, and, it impacted my life. When I talk about those things, it is to help people understand why the, that those thoughts and those worldviews may have taken place so that if they share some of those experiences, they can hopefully identify those before I did in my life, which was you know, start far too late, uh, basically. I mean, anything's far too late, but um, which was later than I would have hoped it would have been, obviously. I think that's a better way of putting that's it. Right. To be that's right. That's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Right. I wish it would have been earlier, you know, and I'm sure other people maybe feel that way too. But I, it's, it's to help identify that it is never to excuse or explain away anything I may have said or done or thought since those points as if that isn't my responsibility. The one is 100% my responsibility. It will always be my responsibility. But these things contributed to the worldview that helped me to say and think and reason and act in certain ways um, because I didn't have the fullest of understanding. So just want to make that clear at the top. In answer to your question, 
Yeah, I grew up in an extremely white area in a town called Greensburg, Pennsylvania, which is about 40 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. Um, just to give people an example, uh, I don't know exactly what the percentages were, but the high school that I was raised near, like that was, you know, that I played football at and everything, um, was about. I was, I let's put it this way. I played in a football team with 90 kids, 90 kids at this high school. I think there was over 3000 students in that, in this, in this high school and none of them were black. So I didn't have hardly any, I don't think anyone in my entire neighborhood was black. I didn't grow up. And I don't think actually, I would go so far as to say, I'm not sure anybody was even not white. Like it was a very white space as I grew up in. Um, and I'm not condemning that by the way, just to be clear off the outset, I'm not condemning the fact that that happens. People, you know, I, I was raised in the house I was raised in. I couldn't really move myself when I was sure. 10, 11, 12, 15 years old. But I think it was important to understand and identify because not only was I raised in that type of environment, I also had very few experiences with people of color, black people through my entire life up until college. And I'll get to college in a second, but I had very few experiences with that. So most of my experiences and most of my understanding of black people wasn't through relationships through understanding them or listening to them or sharing life experiences with them or hearing about their life experiences or witnessing their life experiences. Most of my experience and understanding of black people was shaped by movies and TV shows and the roles that they were in movies and TV shows. Now, another part of this, Matt, I was, a lot of people don't know this. I was actually homeschooled all the way through. So up until wow. my senior year of college, yeah, my senior year of high school, I went to community college some of the stereotypes of homeschooling probably aren't true. And I probably was somewhere in between the extreme ends, you know, where you see the stereotypes sometimes exist sure. and, you know, being, you know, completely out, out of the house and very you know, social, all those kind of things. Um, but because of that view that limited my experiences, not only, not only with people of color, but with people, with humans in general, <laughs> in terms of discourse and dialogue and how to communicate, how to listen, how to understand, how to see things from other perspectives. I was introduced to very few perspectives, period, in my life until I went to college. And that it, it diminished my ability to articulate and grow in some of those areas that I really should have been further ahead in, especially as a communication major, somebody who's looking to get out of the media world. Like I was very far behind the eight ball in that way because of those things. Um, and again, this isn't an attack my parents or anything like that. They had their own things growing up that they were trying to improve upon their experience of raising me. And I think they honestly did that. And I commend them for that. This wasn't one of those areas. It didn't happen. And I'm sure now as they look back, that's something they think, you know, and, and I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I had pushed for or been a little more observant of those things. But my experiences were drawn so much from one worldview, from a worldview that was held in my house and in my church. And it didn't talk about race at all. And it didn't have any experiences with black people listening to them, building relationships with them, any of the above. It just wasn't a part of my life at all for the first 18 years of my life. I just didn't have it. So right away, I'm at this completely, this place of ignorance, right? Of complete ignorance. Then I make this great decision. It was a great decision educationally because I got a ton of good experience in my field, all those kind of things. But the school that I went to, I won't even say, but the school that I went to was a small private. It was technically a Christian school. I actually had lots of experiences there with non-Christians and building relationships with non-Christians, becoming close friends with non-Christians. That was huge for me. That was a big step for me. Remember, I'm just trying to understand other worldviews, period, other perspectives, period, be able to listen to people 
understand what their experience has been like with Christianity, why they might, you know, with, with things that they've seen done in the church. And uh, that's just starting to happen to me for the first time in my life at 18, 19 years old. And that was big. That was huge step for me in terms of just being able to build relationships with other people. Still very few people of color start some, a couple, and I started to build some relationships. I started to hear some things I'd never heard before. Like, frankly, I'd never heard before. Um, I knew words not to say and never said them. It was like I clung to them. Like, can't even, never even heard the N-word growing up. Never, can't even imagine, like, would never have even imagined saying it. You know, that was like the easy one, right? Like, that's like the first pillar, right? Like, everybody gets that, you know, you get that one. But not everybody does. But I should say, uh, but but I got that one. Like that was one, you know, you know, not to do that. Right. You knew that slavery was wrong, but it was those basic tenets, right? There was nothing beyond that in terms of education or understanding. And because not only because in the history part of it, and then in the present day part of it, there was no relationship building or listening or trying to understand experiences of people of color in America. And so because of that, even throughout college, that was very limited for me. I had, you know, like I said, a couple people, um, it was not part of general dialogue and conversation. Um, so out of college, yeah, I have no, I've grown in some ways in terms of my ability to understand and see other people's worldviews, perspectives, start to understand that a little bit more, but that is not, that has not moved over to race at all yet. That those, those changes in that growth were still like total blinders on when it comes to the subject of race. Um, and as I got out of college, my first job out of college, three days after I graduated, I started working at a juvenile detention facility and I started to build relationships with a lot of the kids in this facility. And I started in a lot of the staff that worked at this facility. Many of them were people of color, especially a lot of the staff that I became close friends with. Um, and I began to have conversations with I had more friends, more people in my life at that point, probably in one room at any one point, there were people of color in, and black life, right? had in yeah. my whole life, Matt. Yeah. Um, so I started hearing worldview and even just talking to kids and hearing their stories, like hearing their experiences with police and with, you know, and in, 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 in with um, people of authority, just in general, teachers, uh, parents, um, foster parents, all these experiences um, changed my whole world. I worked there for a year and I came out of it like, what in the, like, and it was, it was a great experience for me in some ways, but that was really just the very beginning for me. Um, I, I was starting to question and think about and work through a lot of things that I had like were, I mean, just down here, you know what I mean? Like my whole life that I'd never dug up, not even scratched the surface of. Um, and that was kind of where that process started for me probably about a year after. So I was about 24, I would say probably at that point where I was starting to like, okay, what is going on? Like, you know, I hear I'm hearing these experiences in my life all the way growing up to this point. I have not like this. Police have been just good all the time. Like that's just in the movies I watch and the shows I watch. Like there's, you know, I had no experiences beyond that. Um, and because of that, I think it wasn't until and I say this is like a, this is a key point. If you happen to be taking notes or anything, I think building relationships and listening to people of color, to black people in their experiences across the board how vastly different they were than mine in many many ways i'm not just talking about police um but vastly different than my experience just i mean yeah it took time but it caused me to totally kind of step outside of myself and my worldview matt and start to think about things from someone else's perspective entirely yeah no i mean that's fantastic and and i mean i'll share a little bit of mine and then we can kind yeah. of talk about some of the 
some of the commonalities or differences or things that we want to delve into. But when you talk about worldview, it's fascinating for you. It was sheltered, completely sheltered from it. And it's not, it wasn't necessarily intentional all the no. time. It might've been just more, your family was trying to do the best it can to get what it could. And it, where it wanted to, where they wanted to move was a, an area that was more segregated. I, I grew up in a Jewish family. And in Cleveland, Ohio, and Cleveland, Ohio is one of the most segregated cities in the country, but it's segregated based on its immigration patterns as much as it is racially. Um, so there's some of it's the racial things that you'd see like in Chicago, but like Chicago is also like the Italians moved here, the Jews moved here, mm -hmm. the Russians moved here, the yeah. the the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants moved, lived out in this area. So... I lived in an area of town and I grew up, you know, I mean, I was born in 1970. So the civil rights yeah. movement literally was just happening on the, yeah. you know, the, the act was signed just two years prior. There was still a lot to do with busing. There were riots. There was a lot of change going on coming off of that. And so my parents were teenagers and college students during the 60s during this time. So they grew up in that whole beaver cleaver kind of like Pleasantville kind of, you know, if you were to make a generalization, kind of how that world was and how people viewed things. If, and But at the same time, being Jewish and both of my parents being Jewish, they had stories of, you know, family members who dealt with discrimination, who weren't mm -hmm. allowed in the colleges. My grandfather wanted a scholarship in New York in high school where he was allowed to pick any school in theory. But when, when he won it, Columbia said, we already have our quota of Jews, so you can't go, you know, and that's where he, he wanted to go and he was qualified, you know, but those, and my brother who ended up going there for grad school, you know, that's a big thing in our family is that yeah. my grandfather couldn't go. And now my, now my brother is, you know, my brother graduated from there with a master's degree, but like, that kind of thing, there was those types of things where, you know, a lot of my family were immigrants who came over and ha and started their own businesses and worked and had to deal with certain level of discrimination and certain level of, of hatred. And then there were people mm -hmm. that we knew who had been victims of the Holocaust and had been yeah. through that. And the stories that you learn and the Jews are very vigilant, just like the Germans actually are very vigilant about acknowledging the history of what happened so that it so that they can try and prevent it from repeating itself and jews are very active about having survivors come and tell stories and talk about what happened mm -hmm. and what they went through and you know and how they survived and and things and who didn't survive and you know yeah. you learn that at a young age so i had this perspective of understanding to a degree of being the other especially being the other in a school because after 10 years in Cleveland, Ohio, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And yeah. Atlanta, Georgia, it, while it has a, it does have Jewish people and everywhere all over the world and all over the country, there, you know, Atlanta also, you know, the South is a little bit more known as a Bible Belt type of area, you know, heavily influenced by Christianity, mm -hmm. heavily influenced by certain different branches of Christianity. And so I myself experienced things like, having a best friend literally just say matter of factly to me like well you're going to hell i mean because of yeah. his misunderstanding of how he 
yeah. uh, what was told to him. You know, it's not what the religion said. It was or what the texts say, but it was how it was interpreted interpreted in the governing body of where he went to church. So to have your best friend love you and care about you, but say like out of concern, like, well, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm sorry that you're going to be going to hell and you're laughing. And then they're like, no, I'm serious. And you're like 10 mm -hmm. years old or 12 or 11 years old. That has an impact on you or, or the, the stereotypes that people have or that yeah. their parents would say something like, you know, you remind me of some Jewish character I see on TV, you know, for yeah. something that has like nothing to, you know, to do with anything, but it's just, right. they make that association. So you see some of those things, but at the same time, while all that was like formative with me, um, when you live in 1970s Cleveland, Ohio, it was a lot like the movie Gran Torino. If you've seen the barbershop scene, where they walk in and they're telling like ethnic jokes. Like I knew more yeah. ethnic jokes by the time I was 10 years old than any adult should ever know in their mm -hmm. life. Like I remember being at the lunchroom telling jokes about black people, telling mm -hmm. jokes about Asians and Jews and mm -hmm. white people and every everything, yeah. things that were completely inappropriate for a 10 year old to know. Yeah, but it's like the, it, it, it wasn't brought up. of that, yeah. <laughs> it was it's a, like it wasn't brought up, but except the only time it race did come up was in the context of joking or it was, you know, it was kind of for me, at least that was like it was it was uh, very flippant and kind of yes. almost like, oh, if we're going to even bring it up, we'll just joke about it. Yeah. And then we move on quickly. So it never registered that, you know, it's one of the subconscious ways never registers as serious when that's the only context you ever Exactly. Hear you think it's humor. It's your grandma being funny. It's your uncle being funny. It's a funny joke. But then there's things that for me, it was really about ambivalence and having like mixed messages because my first experience understanding that racism was existed was when I was about five years old and I was in a preschool at a church that was at this church, like around the corner from where my, where my aunt and uncle lived. And I had this friend named Kenny King. And if, and if for some reason, Kenny, you're still around and, and you know who I am and I know you are, I would love to talk to you and see what's going on. But Kenny and I were, I remember we were just literally playing on a, on like on top of one of those like log cabin structures and we we're like on top of the roof just sitting there and we're literally pulling up our shirts and looking at our belly buttons and he's poking his out and i'm trying to poke mine out and we're giggling because we're five years old and he mm. just turns at me and he says you're a and says an epithet for a white person and i'm a n-word you know mm. epithet for a black person yeah as if like he was telling me this is the sky mm -hmm. this is the sun like mm. whatever yeah. and so I'm like, wow, I learned something new today. So we go home <laughs> and, you know, I was a latchkey kid, you know, growing up with my mom. She was a single parent at that point. And I'd see my dad, but he lived in another part of the country. And I would, uh, and I came home and I saw a black person on television. Mm -hmm. And I, I all excited thinking that I learned something as important as like ABCD yeah. or a new song. I literally said, mom. And I pointed and said yeah. that said that word, and my mom immediately lost it, you know. And now that was a difference. There's a different angle with all of that too, mm -hmm. but it was it, what it reinforced to me was two things. One is that that was the wrong word to say, but it was also I could sense her fear and anger, and 
And it was a really horrible thing to say. And the anger always, when I heard something related to that, I would always feel that anger ever since because it was such a young age. But the weird thing with that, John, was that um, because I'd also go to a, a neighborhood with my family and black family moved in down the street and literally my family or the friends of other families, the neighbors would go, don't play with the kids there. Mm. You know, um, yeah. don't don't play with yep. them. Um, or they would make cracks or jokes or feel threatened or scared of them. And you could sense mm. the fear like they were afraid yep. of us playing with them for some reason. And we didn't know why they wouldn't explain it, you know, because they didn't know how to explain what was incorrect about doing that. And yeah. even if they had even if you could imagine a good intention for that, like maybe from a backwards point of view, from that societal point of view is like, you don't want to have more difficulties with hateful white people who are going to now peer pressure you in negative ways or, or hurt you or create problems because you're simply befriending people in a, in a manner that you should. We want to avoid these problems for you. Sometimes you'd hear yeah. that, which is more that we don't want to stand up for other people and what's right because mm -hmm. we're afraid of having to deal with that. But that's wrong too. But still, yeah. that that kind of fear you'd sense. So you'd get that. And so then, you know, while I lived in mostly an Italian-Russian neighborhood, you know, and there were maybe one to two black kids in our school, then I moved to Atlanta. And in Atlanta, you know, it is a heavy black population, mm -hmm. even in the 1980s. And while my neighborhood was predominantly white, um, kids got bused to schools. And so we had a we had a predominant enough black population of kids who would get bused to our schools. But even that creates differences that if not talked about or acknowledged, it's fascinating. And so I get these things like, you know, racism is wrong, but. And if you say these words, they're wrong. But mm. what I would get from this ignorantly because we didn't have the communication and discussion was it's wrong to say because you don't want to look bad. You don't mm. want to do you don't want to look bad or make yourself or your family look bad. But they they're going to be the same people that will crack jokes about um, black people on buses or, mm. you know, certain populations or what they see. And then that up, right? Things, like, yeah. yeah. Or things that John Gruden said, like in the emails mm -hmm. to, you know, characterize people in a way that didn't add up. So you go, well, I'm, I'm confused. On the one hand, yeah. it's okay to joke. But on the other hand, it's wrong to say this. And so what ends up happening is that, you know, as I befriended black people and, and in school, it was kind of this, we're friendly, but we didn't spend we maybe we played football together, we played basketball together, or we played music together, and we hung out and listened to records together. Or you came over to my house, but you didn't spend the night at my house. I didn't spend the I I didn't willing. You might have invited me to spend the night at your house, but I didn't go. Or right. we didn't go out in public to like go see movies and hang out together. Or or like hearing a parent say to me because out of fear of what other people would think as much as at least the way it came across and there was racism and, and ignorance involved too but that part of that ignorance was fear of what other people would think things like you know knowing that maybe i had a crush on a black girl mm -hmm. and 
and someone saying and knowing that well as long as you don't bring a black girl home because i mm-hmm. if i dated a woman who was from yep. i've dated a korean girl once and we went out mm-hmm. a couple of times and when i and when i married she go, and hearing literally as long as you don't bring a a, a black girl home you know yeah. as if like that was like and then that confused that me the, yeah. and angered me but it was like those things but at the same time like the best teacher i had who like literally drove me to to be the best student that i could be and not underachieve was was a black man who we had lots of conversations about race because i thought i was going to this racist place because i never heard of the ku klux klan or mm-hmm. or you know hate groups they all were in the south you know mm-hmm. you know and and I was afraid as a Jew coming to the South, because even the temple I went to, the synagogue I went to, had been bombed during the civil rights era. You, yeah. you know, so you wonder about that and the things that were outwardly said. So I, as I got older and I'm 15, 16, 17, I'd ask him questions and go, what, you know, we'd talk about this because I'd ask and he'd be engaging with me and he would say things like, you know, when I was up north, he goes, I would rather live down here, even with everything this way and I go well why is that what was your point of view and he said well for me personally and for people I know personally and I can't say across the board it's more out in the open here so I know what I'm dealing with mm-hmm. you know whereas yeah. I've been other pl- regions of the country where maybe it's not as out in the open and when it is it's too and it's at too dangerous of a point to be able to turn back whereas here it's kind of more like you see it enough to know where to stay away and how to avoid the situation. Whereas yeah. if you get into the situation in certain places, it's too late and you could really hurt yourself or others be hurt that you care about. And, and it can be an untenable situation. So we talk about those dynamics. We talk about, right, and it gave me a better understanding. And then being a, a music student and wanting to study jazz, you know, and like mm-hmm. go to school and learn more about it, you'd start to learn more about history that way too but what would happen john is that into my 20s and really into my early 30s and i'm 51 now is that i realized that i had this whole like mixed feelings about everything like i wanted i i hated racism because i hated the idea of being people treating you as the other i've experienced that to a degree but i could i didn't have to tell people i was jewish you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't yep. Jewish all day, every day. I didn't hide from it. If somebody mm-hmm. said something that was ignorant, I'd say, look, man, that's ignorant. You know, you can't. But people would, I'd hear people say stuff because they wouldn't know. It's not like I'm yeah. an Orthodox Jew who dresses in, you know, in the traditional ways. I was a Reformed Jew in the way a lot of people who are Christians, who, mm-hmm. who say they're Christians, maybe go to church on holidays, on major right. holidays, and that's it, you know. And so, you know, I could... I had that luxury, whereas when you're black, you're mm-hmm. black all day, every day, no matter where you go. You know, mm-hmm. you don't you don't get a yep. break from the biases that people had. Um, right. And and there are some people that do know they can conveniently, you know, shift one way or the other because they don't, mm-hmm. you know, that way. So knowing that I, you know, I I felt a strong dislike for that and and also had admired a lot of parts about black culture that I knew about and history that I knew about. But at the same time, I didn't realize that I was scared of black people because in certain ways, because I was scared of what other people would think of me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, it wasn't conscious. If someone yeah. said, you're scared of that, I would say bullshit, you know, yeah, you'd be like... language, but I'd be like, bullshit, <laughs> right. man. We play ball, we hang out, we do this. But yep. if someone said, have you ever invited them for dinner? Have you ever yeah. hung over? Have you ever spent the night at their house or them at your house? Mm-hmm. Have you ever gone out and drove around the neighborhood and at night, like you hang out with your friends, blasting rap music, play, you know? you know with your white friends do you do that with your black friends in the neighborhood have you ever you know do you go out to eat Mm -hmm. what do you you know and the answers would be no and they'd go well why is that and i would be in denial i probably would have said oh well that's just we just Just never had time it just hasn't happened you know Mm -hmm. and but then as you get older and then as i started to make friends with black people in college and start to hang out with black people and then even like just innocently, even like I'd have female friends and maybe I wasn't interested in dating them at that point. And some 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 individuals I were and some I wasn't. But like if I if we went out to a movie and it may have seemed like it could maybe be a date to see how careful and cautious they were around me, even mm-hmm. like, you know, some yep. some folks were. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And yeah. why is that? And then part of that was me, you know, mm-hmm. it's just as much as what people thought of them. But to all those things formulated to a point where it was like, that got me to the stage of where I started to learn a lot more. And mm-hmm. we can talk about that. But, yeah. but I, I guess that was my formative thing because mm-hmm. I had, you know, I had all these mixed things to where it was yeah. like, it's okay to do some things. It's wrong to do others. I'd see people mistreated or treated like they weren't really afforded the same respect, even from my family, Mm. and go, that's wrong. But then when I got into a position of authority or responsibility, then it was like I could see my attitudes coming to the fore from what I observed. Not even Mm. what I wanted, but from what I observed. And I had to check myself. Because I was like, wow, I didn't, you know, I, the best, the best compliment I got later on after we talk about this and what, where we learned is I had employees say to me, I want to work with you because you, you treat people like human beings. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a great compliment in a way when you think of the state of society. Because yeah. to me, I was like, oh, that's awful. That like that's, the that's bar. awful. That that's the bar. Yeah. But like to that would. But to say that someone said I'm treating you the way that the the bare minimum of what everyone mm-hmm. should be treated like, which is as an individual and as a human being, and I'm going, that's a compliment yeah. for this, you know. Wow. But yeah. to have and feel like that I had to travel. And I and then look back and go, I had to travel to get to that point because at right. 23, 24, 25 in a position dealing with people, I had biases that I didn't understand to do. And I'd see that how people would relate to me was based on the fact of how I was treating them. So right. if they knew I was treating them a certain way, they would literally they put on an act because mm-hmm. that was how they could ingratiate themselves to me. And yeah. then I'd feel like they're putting on an act and weren't being real mm-hmm. with me. But if I asked them to, you know, if I had to say, let's be real. 
they yeah. wouldn't want to be real with me because now I'm putting them in a dangerous situation because I didn't understand my own biases. Right. And then I would I would think it was about me. And then mm. I was so worried about how either people thought I was racist because I was worried about yeah. people were going to hate me because if they think yeah. I'm racist and I'm they think I'm hateful and they mm -hmm. think that I'm you know burning crosses in people's yards and wanting to hurt people and mm. I don't want any of that and I don't want people to hate white people to hate me and just right. own me for that even though cancel culture wasn't really a part of that but mm. that's the things that I would worry about I was more worried about how people would view me for something mm. I did as opposed to mm. what I did to impact that person yeah and right. that's part of the denial because I didn't understand yeah. And because I didn't understand all that stuff and I didn't understand where all this came from and understand my own biases, then how could I possibly, how could someone trust me? How could yeah. I have a relationship? And then on a level, I knew that because I could see how people were treating me. Like if you go yeah. out with someone and you know they're not into you, you pick mm -hmm. up on that pretty soon. Sure. You might not know what that is, mm -hmm. but you know whether someone's into you or whether they're not. You know, you yeah. just you get that feel. But if you don't and and then if you have good communication, you understand why. You know, mm -hmm. or you you can look back on and understand why. But if you're afraid to even have the conversation with someone on a basic interaction, just like yeah. work day, friend classmates, whatever. And you know, because if I ask the wrong question, I might get condemned right. for what I say. Yeah. And I'm, I'm afraid that in some ways that that is kind of the line that that's what you and I really want to do. Like we want to make a path for people to kind of cross that bridge a little bit. But I think it's impossible to do as a white person if you don't understand how you got to where you are. Like you said, yes. the most impactful thing I think you, you were saying there is that you're what you knew what to say and what not to say in certain situations, but you didn't know why or how you got to the point where those things matter necessarily. Like why did the yeah. words matter? What's the background here? What's the context? What are they taking from it that makes it matter? Like what's their experience have been in that makes it matter? Um, I think that those things were what I never understood growing up. I knew some words not to say, and I never said them. It was like yeah. a religion for us, you know, basically. And that was it. That was the bar. Like that was the racist bar. If you said these things, if you wore a white hood, like then you were racist. And that's right. how I understood like racism. <laughs> that was it. Like, I know it seems ridiculous now, but the like tip that is, is the iceberg. Yeah, that's right. Like that is, <laughs> that was the whole, I literally remember, and I'll talk about this guy because he was the, probably the biggest after I had that experience in the juvenile detention facility, I started to like unpack and understand some things. And part of that, honestly, Matt, like in an ugly way, like this is hard to admit, part of that was just like venting out some things like to my last rail against the truth. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that was like the breaking points for me, like with a lot of this stuff and peeling back those layers. Oh man, like peeling back those layers was just, you know, it was, it was hard because it was ugly, you know, yes. to be honest. And I remember sitting in a car, my, one of my good friends, Cal Schumacher is his name. Awesome person, white guy who changed my life in the way that I see this, the topic of race and the way that I understood people of color and what they're going through in America. And I remember being in a car with Kyle, we had had conversations before we lived together for about a year. We were roommates. And, um, I remember I was having conversations with him. I remember about this a little bit here and there and something had happened. I don't remember what had happened at that point. And I was talking if something had happened or if we just came on the subject, I don't remember, but I just remember totally being lost that 
black people's experiences with cops could be so negative because I had been raised around. My uncle was a police officer. My brother is a police officer now in Jacksonville. Um, and um, um, my best friend from college, uh, who was, I was roommates with our senior year of college and we were in the same house and we were roommates. He was, he's a police officer and I'd grown up in there, you know, and you know, th that was my experience. I was just like, I, you know, that was my worldview. I had no yeah. negative experiences. Like, you know, I, my, every time I got pulled over, it went pretty much the same way. I usually was speeding. I did that way too much. And I got, you know, that yeah. was it. Like that yeah. was, that was my experience. And he, you know, I remember just kind of being like, I don't understand. Like this was literally my process, Matt. Like I, I don't understand. Do they think that police officers wake up and like, that's their desire? Like in the morning <laughs> is to target them. Yeah. I know that sounds utterly absurd. Honestly, it, 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 if I'm being just sincere, it makes me a little bit nauseous to, to say that now but i i need people to understand because i want them to recognize it in themselves that if that's subconsciously something that you've thought or not understood i was at that point at one point i remember saying that to him and i remember we drove the remainder of the car and i he didn't he didn't argue against me we drove the rest of the way he is not a silent he's not a silent guy he's not a quiet guy he's very outgoing very social very talkative we drove the rest of the way in silence he never responded and that i never like i didn't know what to think i didn't know if he agreed with me i was just confused so I like, I'm, that drove me crazy. I was like, immediately like, let's look some things up. Let's like, what are we talking about here? And he and I didn't revisit that specific conversation. We had other conversations down the road that at that point was me kind of coming to him like, dude, I'm, I think I'm getting this. Like what in the world? Like, and now he had had experiences. Here's the difference. And I want people to understand he had had experiences. He grew up in an area where he was constantly, he was in a multicultural church. He was a Christian too. He was a multicultural church, multicultural settings. His father worked in, and he was involved in multicultural work in their community. And he had seen people of all kinds of cultures and backgrounds and colors. You know, he had built relationships with them. He had listened to their stories. He had grown up with them. He had seen this stuff from the time he was a kid, Matt, to all the way now is where, you know, young adults in college, you know, young adults, um, 22, 23, and we're experiencing having these conversations, his worldview had was totally different than mine. Like he, his dad was a part of an organization that was vehement, was passionate about pointing out the fact that the, what white privilege looked like and what some of those things looked like in our culture and how we can recognize those things and making sure settings were multicultural and put people of color in positions of leadership. And he had seen all those things demonstrated and taught to him from a young age. He had an understanding. I had no understanding of at that point in time, but because he was willing to not condemn me for what I'm sure now I look back on. And I honestly don't like bringing it up with him when we talk because I'm embarrassed about like where I was at with a lot of the stuff and, and and some of that I need to go over, but some of it also I need to carry with me as a reminder in some ways, you know, and I think that our conversations, he and I's conversations, you know, since then have been obviously so, so good. And we talk on the phone every once in a while and, you know, but obviously the branch has grown way beyond that to, to so many other people in my life that I either didn't know had those experiences or I never talked about it before. Um, as I began to build relationships with people of color in our community, um, you know, that, that was, it was totally eye-opening for me to, for him still to love me where I was at and to listen to me, but, and not condemn me, but to, to bring me along, to point me to, Hey, bud, like, this is wrong. Like this is, this is a perspective that you, maybe you've lacked. Listen to this, hear this, read this. Like I, I, it could have been easy for him to things I said and the, the ways that I thought to just boom, like you're, you're like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I got to get out of here. And I know it hurt him. And I know he was frustrated about it because he was an ally at that point and still is to this day and will always be. And I'm very proud of him for that. But he, yeah, his ability to kind of cross those paths with me, 
then I started to unpack the aversiveness of it, Matt. And then it was not just understanding, okay, this is racism. This is clearly bad. This is obviously like the line, but okay. Racism looks totally different than I thought it did. Like right. racism is way more subtle than I thought it was. Way racism, more. Ra- way more subtle. Like things that I did not realize how much movies and TV shows in the depiction of black people in these shows, a lot of the shows that I had grown up on, or especially a lot of the movies, I guess I should say that I had grown up on, you know, oftentimes being in, I, I took some, some notes here, like oftentimes they're not as articulate in some of the movies that I watched. Didn't think anything of it. Just that was just watching the movie. Like yeah. had no, because I'm white. Like why? Right. I don't need to step into their space. That was my you know selfish minds. I don't need to step into their space and understand how they might feel being portrayed in this way, or that it was lower class jobs or that they were only kind of, uh, um, to be looked up on to be looked upon positively or as role models in sports settings like that was a big one for me like i most of the movies i grew up watching again my parents were strict right like we grew up watching sports movies that was my hit for me right. so like we watched sports movies at disney and all that you know and and a lot of the roles you know, even think about disney matt even like i, I have two daughters yeah. now and like my biggest desire in the world and, and my wife shares feels the same way is for them to like understand a lot of the things I didn't understand too. So yeah, we watch Disney movies and we are, my daughter Kaylee who's five. We are unpacking this stuff. Like just talking about on a very limp, obviously on a, on a scale that she can comprehend, but like those, like I'm stunned watching some of these movies that I haven't seen since I was a little kid and seeing like, wow, like not that they're evil. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like there's brokenness there. Like there's things there we need to talk through and we need to understand. Um, yeah. from a young age otherwise that worldview gets built and a lot of those because that was the only interaction i had too you know it would be one thing maybe if there was no if there was other if there was real life interaction so i could see oh this clearly isn't the way that it is you know what i mean right. like but i didn't have that yeah. so because of that my worldview was shaped by those things instead of the robust way it should have been shaped it could have been shaped by those relationships and i know for some people you might be thinking like i live in a community that kind of is what it is i work at a job that Kind of is, should I leave my job? Should I move out of my community? Maybe I don't. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I'm not suggesting that. That's certainly not my point in saying this. But I would look for ways to get your kids involved, to get involved in yourself in some of those settings, so that you can start to ask some of those questions. And not all right away. Obviously, you want to build relationships first. You want to just be around people. You want to just be, you know, a person. Be yourself. You know, I don't want. To, I'm not saying you go into a setting and you're like right away asking right. questions, but as you build the relationship, some of these things will come out. Some of these things will be talked about. Um, you start to learn how to articulate and think through some of these things. But I think the biggest thing, Matt, is exactly what you said, like understanding why, understanding the aversiveness of some of this stuff and why it takes place. Because most people, when they hear about this, the, the walls I was talking about at the beginning, the walls come up, right? And they hear about the topic of race and racism. Most white people I've experienced, and even when I've written things on Medium or things like that and posted them, right away i see people's walls go up they want to attack you and they want to attack what you're about and i just want to say look i have no interest in fighting with people about it, especially on social media yeah. um but it i want to be like listen what if you're wrong though like what if you're wrong about it what if it's way deeper than you thought it was yeah. because i was there once where i was the person being like i don't think this like you're being brainwashed by this you're, you're being this. like this isn't about our politics at all, Matt. Like, I have no clue where you're at politically. You probably have no clue where I'm at politically. Half time, I don't know where I'm at politically. This, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, with you. This is not like a bastion of the way I've been politically driven at all. Like, at all, I would not no. say. But this is an area that that really matters. And I think that 
if you're not taking time to at least question, okay, I don't agree with half the things he said. I think this stuff's overblown. I think this stuff isn't as real as people make it out to be, blah, blah, blah. But put that but in there. That's all I'm at. I'm asking you to put the but in there and say, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to think. I'm willing to read. I'm willing to hear some things that I haven't heard before. I'm willing to have conversations with some people that I haven't had conversations with before. And I'm willing to challenge the way that I think about things because I promise you, if you can do that as an individual, the ripple effect it could have for other people. And that's one of the greatest things I've seen since I came to this slow, cumbersome change of, of understanding is my ability to take my position and be in the community we're in, even in Pennsylvania, where we came from before we moved down here to where we are now in Tampa Bay. Just to talk about that for a setting, you know, my wife grew up in, an, in a town that we were living in at the time before it was a little bit about 45 minutes from where I grew up, actually, in, in, in Pennsylvania. And that town is pre- almost overwhelmingly white. I mean, like, you know, so her experiences were also very limited. Now, she did. She went to Penn State. Um, so she had some more experiences. She got out of that company. She had experiences with people, you know, different uh, sexuality, different all kinds of things. Like she had those backgrounds and those experiences that were broader than my own. And when we met, we were both at like different levels of ignorance still, obviously. But we there was there was a, at the time we had met and started dating, there was like a strong desire in both of us. Like, all right, let's figure this out. Like, cause this really matters. And like, by the time we were married and thinking about having kids, it was um, passion of ours to, to just understand, to, to understand. And honestly, we read through books together and uh, it was some really hard conversations and looks at ourselves. And I don't say that as an, Oh, feel bad for us. This thing was so hard. I say that as in, you wish that you'd done it sooner, you know, and, and life. And if, so if you're listening to it and it is, and you're like, you know, I just think there might be a 1% chance that something you say is accurate. Just, I'm just telling you, just try and step back and, and think and look and challenge yourself to think outside of that box, because I think it's so important that you at least go down this road. And if you go down the road at the end and you have questions you want to talk and you're still, you know, okay, we'll talk. We'll, we'll I'd, I'd love to have those conversations. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your perspectives that you've read and, and where you've, kind of gone with this thing, but I'm just asking people like, just be open enough to like, think that maybe you're not completely right about this. If you're a white person in America, because there's a lot of subconscious layers to this stuff that I think are just so worth unpeeling because it can be life-changing for you, but for people around you, if you're in a position of authority for what you do with that position of authority, you just talked about that, Matt. I think that's a great point. I'm glad you brought up like I've been in multiple positions of authority just in the sports media field. I have done it horribly on the, on in the topic of race, like and not understanding it at all and not even thinking about it in terms of who I hired and, and where, you know, in terms of like how, who I gave opportunities to and things like that, just being like totally unaware to where I'm now where it's like, okay, this is, this matters. Like I need to make sure that opportunities are, are even for people. And I need to be aware of the fact that uh, of my biases and some of that stuff. And, um, and um, making and aware of the, the challenges and some of the hurdles that have to be overcome by people of color. And that has been something I've had to read and study about and read articles about and understand the statistics of even to be able to articulate it to other people. And we'll probably get into that, some of that stuff in a later show. But I think being able to unpack it, which is work, uh, Gordon Hayward wrote, uh, was it Gordon Hayward? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was, Gord- no, it was uh, Cal Corver. Cal Corver wrote um, NBA player for people who don't know, was, was an NBA. I think he's retired now. Um, 
white guy. He wrote an unbelievable article for Players Tribune that was one of the, uh, you know, you think back over this journey, right, of learning and growing. And, you know, even just this week, things I heard, you know, that were totally impactful for me. It's one of the like milestones. You know what I mean, Matt? Like one of the mile markers of like, like I get it. Like, and he wrote this unbelievable piece for the Players Tribune years ago about his experience as a white guy going into the NBA being like obviously like a minority in that setting and seeing the experiences some of his black famous teammates had with police and other people in authority, other white people in authority and outside of the settings of, you know, like he grew up in that was just like totally mind boggling to him and how he still remained quiet for a lot of years of his career and didn't say anything, wasn't an advocate, wasn't an ally. And then what changed for him to become an ally and his understanding. And one of the things he said just resonated with me all the time is that the biggest difference between us, no matter what we say, ally and, you know, people, you could, some people say it's virtue signaling and some people just, that's literally, this is on our heart. This, we care about it, you know, whatever. That's all great. But there's, as a white person, you can literally just be like, nah, not, not today, not yep. today. And just opt out and you yep. and opt out of the conversation, opt out of the whole thing. And like you said, you don't have that option as a black person. This is something that you are facing to some degree in your in your life. It can it happen, happen at any point. moment. Yeah, exactly. It, right. it may not. It, they may go weeks. They can go a month or two. Yep. It may right. go years, but it can happen. And when it yep. does happen, the impact, the weight of what happens, can be life changing. Yeah, exactly. And so, because of that difference, I think it's so important for us to understand that we have to intentionally, as white people step out of the space that we're in and into the into the conversation and into the dialogue mm-hmm. and that's something you and i talked about even in starting this like we need to be more a part of the conversation that's happening on a regular yeah. basis about these things but at the same time and this is something again you and i have talked about a lot how much how important is it matt for us to make sure that we aren't the voice we aren't the rallying cry for people to necessarily flock to we need to be amplifying the voices of people of color because their experiences, right, and their struggles and their um, worldview is something that's what really needs to be heard. We could talk about this and hopefully people identify with it. But if you aren't listening to people of color and listening to their journeys and their stories and, and understanding history and even how it's impacted those things, you're not going to get the, the full picture that you should get with this. Yeah, because here's the deal. As well stated in the great info that you provided about changing or trying to look at a different point of view and going down that road. There's two things I want to bring up. One is that part because, and I think that'll be a good point for a next conversation is how did, what was that growth process like? Why was that hard? You know, because I can tell you that for me as someone who thought I was an ally, really truly thought I was an ally on a, yeah. on a certain level that changed when I actually became family with black people and or when I started dating a black woman and yeah. started to experience and see things through her eyes and be open to the day to day you know and it's not all about what you know when you date someone at first it's everybody's on their best behavior everybody's doing their best but when you like are living with someone day to day you know you see what they experience and they see what you experience and they see how we react to each other and all those things so i mean i was someone you know because i could tell you part of my evolution was yeah reading i read autobiography from malcolm x at 19 
I remember what that was like, having conversations with my family and seeing my family's attitudes, having grandparents literally just being hateful in response yeah. and being upset that I would want to go see Spike Lee's movie and say, well, I read Alex Haley's book. It was a great book. Yeah. should read this. And they were literally neighbors with Hank Aaron and Ozzie Davis and Ruby D and loved hobnobbing with them. But then the yeah. things that they said, if I were Hank Aaron, I'd want to beat them over the head with a baseball mm -hmm. bat, you know, yeah. but that's, that's my, you know, based on their viewpoints of things, but it was out of, you know, a lot of it was out of fear for them. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fear driven. But the thing that I want to point out isn't about the hateful attitudes and changing attitudes that you may have if you've seen things from that perspective. But what if you are the person who's listening to this and you're like, maybe I've been up to a certain point because Again, I've been married to a black woman for 12 years as of, you know, about a week ago. And, you know, and I've raised three biracial children over the span of the past 25 years. I've been a part of that. Mm -hmm. And I lived in a predominantly black country for a year, um, you know, and got to experience some of that. So we'll talk about maybe mm -hmm. I'll talk about that maybe next time. Yeah. But I'm someone who. Even with, with those things, I would think of myself at this point of having read about critical race theory, having conversations about race, having, you know, standing up and maybe giving to certain organizations or, or mm -hmm. being against certain things that I was doing the right things. And I was doing things that were positives, but there are also things that I had still had biases and negative understanding or ways of going about it because inherently I wasn't listening to what my black friends and family were saying or mm. I wasn't or I was trying to take the lead or I was making assumptions of what it is that I thought they wanted or needed or what their point of view was and then when I would listen and hear their point of view I was like, I was surprised sometimes, yeah. you know, and then I would respond and they go, well, you're making an assumption based on what you think is best. Yeah. And then I would be like, but that makes no sense. And then we talk about it and I would argue it sometimes and they would be gracious mm -hmm. enough with me and go, but yeah, that's what you think. But what about what I think? What about what? You know, what about what about uh, what other black people think about this particular thing? Because the way you stated it, I know you don't mean to be this way, but it mm -hmm. comes across as if you're telling me, you know, better than I do yeah. about these experiences. But have you ever experienced how that feels or do you experience how you have to negotiate these things? Because like if my wife had come home and have to tell me about work and how she had a situation and me have been in management and having mm -hmm. had success in certain areas and thinking that, well, you know, I've learned to hire well, I've learned how to work with people well. What I didn't understand was how to deal with conflicts like that well, where I wasn't the decision maker and right. how I might have to balance that or deal with that. And for my thought was like, well, just, you know, do, you know, why not just do this or why not do that? And, and then she'd break it down to me and go, think about it. Think mm -hmm. about what, you know, that balance that I've got to maintain. Do I just say, do I just say like, forget you every time something like that happens? Mm -hmm. 
because now I'm going to per be perceived this way by people. I'm going to be yeah. perceived as, you know, my wife many times has had to deal with, and this is from, this is, I'm sure in this point to explain what I didn't understand as a, as a white person who thought they were an ally. An example of this is my wife being at a job and being unbelievably well qualified at what she does. I mean, my yeah. wife has just been accepted in the Cornell graduate school for the law program there, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, to have gone to school and done the things she's done and for people still to tell her that they make the assumption that she was an affirmative action hire, mm -hmm. that she was yep. the first person to ever go to college as, as in her family, most likely, like make that assumption mm -hmm when literally her grandfather had ran off a farm back in the early 1900s, ran away from a farm to go to school because he knew it was mm -hmm. either he did that or he was going to be stuck on the farm, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but all of her family having multiple degrees, you know, mm -hmm. and, or a, a, a high percentage. And, and then go into meetings and people be like, not have any of the 20, 30 years of experience she has try to tell her how to run her job, want to run the yeah. meeting, talking over her, um, not trusting her responses so that they would email other, include their her boss on every email mm -hmm. on stupid things that you would never do with other people. Yep. And she's dealing with that. And I would listen to that and just get frustrated and go, well, you know, at first you'd think, well, screw them. Just you know, mm -hmm. we, you need to find another job. She goes, no, or you need to have this conversation. She goes, but I can't because you have to understand that the way people perceive me and what I've experienced is if I push back like you would push yeah. back because you've never been through this. The results would be different. They would see me as overly aggressive, mm -hmm. uncooperative, someone that's not easy to work with. And yeah. then I, no one would want to work with me. So now I have to err on the opposite side of that and let people dictate to show my bosses that I'm easy to work with and that they are being completely unreasonable so that they can therefore go, this is crazy, but I understand why you're dealing with it, but that's awful yeah. that you have to deal with it. And then them become the allies to actually do it. And the amount of times that's actually happened that way yeah. versus them just going, it's in your head or it's something different, only to realize later that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's been few that it's been the positive and completely through. And right. to have to deal with that daily, I didn't understand that. So when I'm trying to give advice or say, this is how policy should be, or this is, we need more of this. Sometimes it's not me listening to the individual situation. It's me taking the things that I think is right and wrong from what I've read or what I've observed, but not having, but doing it in theory as opposed yeah. to understanding the people and listening and having dialogue and, and getting and going, what is it like? What are, you know, why is that not going to work? Why would that solution not work from your point of view? Yeah. What is right. the best way to go about this from your point of view? And mm -hmm. to have that, you know, to be 35, 40, 45, 50, 
and have those conversations and continuing to learn, it can still be humbling because you still, as you get better, you know, at first when you confront your biases, it's scary. At first it's yeah. scary. Oh yeah. At first you feel ashamed and first you're in denial and you're like, I don't want to deal with it or it can't be right. Or then when it is, and you're afraid of like, are people going to hate me? Have I been this bad? I've been an awful human being for this period of time. And we'll talk more about that, but then, mm -hmm. You get through that, but it never goes away fully. Like it's like how you learn something and say, if you know, you have a bad temper, if mm -hmm. you know, if you have a bad temper and you've worked, worked through it, whether mm -hmm. you had to go to angle anger management or you got some therapy or you just learned and you read some books and you figured out how to do that, yeah. you still know when something gets your ire up and you mm -hmm. know where you can go. And there's a part of you go, I can't go there. Because mm -hmm. I know if I do, I'm going to feel bad about myself the next day. I'm going to yeah. feel bad about myself in five minutes or an hour. But you but you can acknowledge it and move on. And it's much easier, even though you still feel that hint of that feeling that was so difficult at first mm -hmm. to go, that to, to even contain. And it's yeah. the same thing with these behaviors because they're so ingrained, whether it's in our family unintentionally or intentionally, in our society unintentionally or intentionally, from our perceptions of what was said to us, even if it was meant well. Mm -hmm. And so exploring all that is, it is like you said in the beginning, it's a lifelong journey. And yeah. the more you become aware of it and acknowledge it, um, the easier it gets, even though it, that you always have moments, even if you're considered an ally, even if, mm -hmm. you know, even if my family were like, you're cool, you're not like, yeah. I'm not worried, you know, I don't have any issues with you about this stuff. But the yeah. fact that we, but the fact that you can now, I can now have a conversation where my wife go, well, that's biased how you're saying mm -hmm. that, you know, or yeah. that's an ignorant way of thinking about that. You've got to consider this. It still yeah. hurts. You know, because I'm like, because then you 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 get in your own way and you go, God, what kind of husband am I that I don't yeah. like understand my wife or that I don't, you know, don't do this. But the fact that she trusts me enough yeah. to be able to say it and then I can take it and not be about me and we can move forward. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's where you're trying to go. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, you know, that we get into that on that level and it's bigger than just this too. But this is, you know, I, I hate... One of the things that drives me crazy is when people say we don't have a race problem, we have a sin problem. Like, no, we have a sin problem. Obviously, <laughs> one of those sins is racism. Like, that's what one of those sins is. One of yeah. those sins is racism. And let's put a name on it. Let's call it what it is. Let's identify it in ourselves. But we have walls up as people, as human beings, toward lots of areas of our life that are that are broken or sinful. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to dive into that because it's a pride thing, right? That's what it is. We don't want to look a certain way to people or appear broken or appear messed up in front of people. We don't want people to listen to this podcast, you know, and be, and be like, wow, I can't believe John did that when he was 23 years old or can't believe he said that or, you know, all those things like that hurts, like to know that that is part of the equation. But I think softening yourself to some of that and understanding like, no, this matters. Like you got to get over yourself in some ways and 
be able to like get down deep with this stuff because that is what it takes. It's not a journey that's natural. It's not instinctive for us as white yeah. people to go down this path. And that's why Matt and I have taken the time to, yeah. to do this. And they're talking about this because it matters to us that other people understand, look, it wasn't instinctive for us either. Like we yeah. spent years trying to figure this out. We're still trying to figure it out yeah. like today. Like that's still, it's still something that we're trying to grow. And, and, figure and out. a big point I want to make before we end with this, because this is so important for those of you who are listening that feel like your allies and but you're you may be the people who are are quick to like it quick to judge mm. and and you know if you look at yourself and go i've written people off now it's one thing to write people off because you feel like they're dangerous to you and around you because of their state of mind and being and and you don't feel like that it will be a good situation that's one thing but if you've got people who are asking questions and who are arguing and debating with you or have a different point of view you know or you see people who've made a mistake you know it's easy for people to say oh well they're just saying they're sorry because they want to keep their job they're saying they're sorry because they don't want to get pilloried on social media. They, they're saying they're sorry because they don't want to get excommunicated by their friends or people that they want to admire them. Um, and certainly there are people who probably do that and we can be cynical for a reason. But at the same token, there's a point and we'll, and that I want to bring up to people is that there's a point where we, the best, Jim Carrey said this, I heard him say this, is that the best aspect about human beings is their creativity, their yeah. ability to adapt and invent and to grow and to honor growth and, and have redemption. And yeah. that the, the best of human beings is to, to look at redemption. And I look at it this way, who better to how how do you learn without making mistakes now yeah. you don't want to make huge mistakes it's like learning how to drive you don't want to drive off a cliff right you know but if you survive driving off a cliff or you survive having an accident odds are you're going to become a better driver mm -hmm. eventually to you know and become a much more vigilant driver and become under better understanding of what's around you as well as your own capabilities yeah and it's the same thing with this so if you're out there and you're like well you know when you see someone make a mistake like i look at john gruden as an example mm -hmm. okay i see the things he said and i completely identified with his cleveland ohio upbringing he's about my age he mm -hmm. grew up in the same area of the of the country mm -hmm. and he and he said things that I heard lots of people say, mm -hmm. and I've heard, seen lots of people talk about in ways, but then think themselves as being open and not mm -hmm. having a racist bone in their body. Yeah. And, and then he's, you know, should, should he be fired for having engaged in that behavior on a company email? Personally, I would say yes, that's mm -hmm. violating a policy and you're influencing um, people who, who are copied on it, who are, in your leadership right but should he necessarily be removed from the ring of honor from the from tampa bay now mm -hmm. i'm not going to have you go there as a you know as an analyst but for put me, me on the spot here. Put, you know, put you on the spot but for I'm me calling. but for me i 
I look at that and the, the honest answer is I have real mixed feelings about that mm-hmm. because we need to give people the opportunity to learn. What about all the people who were in Ring of Honors who mm-hmm. did way worse things that we may not know about mm-hmm. or maybe do know about, but because it was in the, in the far, in the, in the distant past and in a different time, we just say they were there and they, we honor them for the greatness of what they were and yeah. not for the period of time that they lived in. So when I look at this, the point I'm making is that, you know, we got to allow people to, there's, there's the right point to have discipline. So to say, you were wrong about this and this is wrong mm-hmm. and we can't, this is behavior we can't condone. But there's a point where we, we've got to, I think there's something wrong with trying to take, as Dave Chappelle saying, taking away people's entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, Rather than understanding that if you actually, if we are actually disciplining and teaching, Mm -hmm. disciplining and educating at the same time, that, that there's a greater chance that the people who actually did these things wind Mm -hmm. up being the best students and the best allies and be able to relate to people who are afraid to make these mistakes but perpetrate these behaviors either knowingly or unknowingly, mm-hmm. they are indeed can be the best allies because of their experience with it. You know, mm-hmm. you and I study tape. You know, yeah. we've been doing it for years. I can't tell you how many mistakes I've had. <laughs> I joke, people go, I love the fact that you talk about your mistakes, mm-hmm. but I always think, I have a cornerbacks mentality to mistakes because I yeah. forget them because I'm like, I make them every year, Yeah, you right. know? And, right. and then there are certain things that I don't acknowledge as mistakes until later, but it's because you make mistakes and go, and then you examine it and go, mm-hmm. what do I learn from that? If I hadn't, right. if bring it back to football, if I hadn't screwed up my evaluation of Dak Prescott mm-hmm. and the process of how I do that, Same. I would have never gotten Lamar Jackson or Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes never in a million years would have gotten them in the way that I did in terms of their scouting reports mm-hmm. because of the I had to reevaluate my process for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's and that's a it's the same thing when it applies to something as deep as the subject of of our of our biases and also how we view people who committed mistakes with those biases. Yeah. And how we approach them. And it's, is it, you know, there's got to be a mix of discipline, but is it, but where, when does it get to being punitive? Mm-hmm. And yeah. when does that hurt us as a whole? When does that hurt the, the cause more than help? Because my wife would say to me, and I'll just end with this, is my wife would say to me, you know, when we had conversations and there was like everything going on with George Floyd, there were a couple of people that I had conversations with. Mm-hmm. And it got to a point where I felt like the person was just trying to win a debate as opposed to having an open yeah. conversation. And they were trying to find a gotcha moment. And mm-hmm. I just decided I wanted to have nothing to do with them. Yeah. And my right. wife's far more patient than I am because she has no choice. And, yeah. and but for me, like you brought up, she said, see, that's the thing. You have the privilege mm-hmm. of being able to say, I'm done for the day. Yeah. You yeah. can go out right now and say, you can go out and, and go driving somewhere and be like, I'm done for the day. And I can, right. I can be a white man for the day yeah. and do, and get a break. You know, right. you may think right. about it all the time, 
Right. But you're not going to have people coming up to you and be in your face in some level subtly right. or or very um, straightforward. Right. And and I'd like to clarify that too, just by saying like you don't have to live feeling guilty about that. That's that's no. who you are. <laughs> like that's just you're that, that's what you are. You're white. Like that's exactly. You, know, you don't have to feel like bad about the fact that that's no. the case. Recognizing that it's true doesn't mean you have to feel guilty about it. Like that, no. they're different things. And yeah, and I know you know that too. I'm just, you know yeah, for people out there who might be to make. Yeah, like that. I, we don't like that's not something that we're trying mm. to perpetuate. We're just trying to say being aware of it is important. Yeah. <laughs> being aware of yeah. something that you know you do is important, yeah. even if it's not necessarily your fault yeah. that it it's is. It's natural. It is. It's natural yeah. to feel guilty and shame about something that you start to realize that maybe you were wrong about. Or maybe you didn't understand fully, and it's understandable to feel those feelings. Mm -hmm. But so acknowledging the feelings, okay. But after a certain point, you got to get over yourself and go. It was a mistake. I made a mistake. Yeah. You know, I can, you do. Yeah, I can redeem myself and do more to be helpful mm -hmm. in the future than live with one mistake that I made. Yeah. Then, I, I yeah. There's a lot of layers to this, and I know we 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 will wrap up here because we've got yeah. to save some. We'll, we have plenty for the next one, but I do want to yeah. say a couple of things real quick on Please. what you just said, just as it pertains to Gruden. I'm not trying to harp on Gruden. He's a person. He's broken. Hopefully, he learns and grows. That's all I care about. You know, what whatever happens with his job is up to those organizations. Ring of Honor is up to those organizations. I do think it's important, and I know you do as well. That you know the you know, Bucks, for example, have an organization that pride themselves and have been outspoken about not that they haven't made mistakes and not that they don't have mistakes in their ring of honor sure. <laughs> that but those mistakes the existence of those mistakes doesn't mean that this that excluding one more wasn't a was wasn't a bad thing or was a bad thing for them to do I, I think it's important to recognize that there are you know the people a lot of the groups of people that he degraded are people who are the bucks have been proactive about saying sure. you're a big part of this organization you're valued you're loved for who you are we want you to th that those sure. are values that we uphold and we want to be leaders in that space and i think this is that's part of this too that those people that are affected perfect by perfect sense right like perfect yeah those sense. people are affected too and so i try to look at it from their perspective and see okay i get it um but i'll say this too about gruden uh, or about this the whole situation to sean reed from the athletic one of my favorite people one of my favorite beat writers out there he said he asked Gruden point blank after the first comment, the racial trope about uh, DeMarie Smith's lips that, that Gruden had written in an email. Um, he asked him point blank when Gruden was there. He said, what have you learned since that time? And how have you grown since that time? In terms of your understanding, you apologize for things you said. And this was obviously in the past. I forget what year that exact email was. Yeah. I know there was stuff going up to 2018. Um, but he asked him like, what have you like that? Like what an opportunity, right? Like, to be a head coach of one of the 32 NFL teams and to have done this in the past and be exactly what you're talking about, Matt, like be that, be in a position to say, not, not to the grandstand and make it about you, but like no, to legitimately offer, like, look, you, I was in this pot. This was who, where I was. And now I've grown and I'm this way. And this has changed. And I mean, heck you're a head coach of an NFL team. Take the mic for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for yeah. 15 minutes and say something like about Steve this. Kerr who would yes, talk about like, things like that right yeah. one of the players on your team is gay is the first openly gay player to play in the NFL what you have black people all over your team that need to hear how you've changed and how you've grown it yes you've done things in the past and that's part of it for sure and that, that deserves some consequences you know as I know personally as people know from my story as I know and I attest to like that deserves consequences absolutely as as did my situations over the years but 
what what was what was amazing about the opportunity for Gruden was before there was actual consequences. He had the opportunity to say, I'm glad you asked. Like, this is what, this is what I've learned. Like this is, and to be, and he said, I, I've learned a lot. I'd rather not comment on it. And to me, Matt, that was heartbreaking to me. That was the, the worst part of this whole thing to me from my perspective, because what he'd done in the past was was horrible obviously and hurt a lot of people but he had the opportunity to take what his situation and take what had happened and actually to have grown from it as somebody who has led these groups of people throughout his life and throughout the recent portions of his life and he hadn't done that he didn't care he learned how to blend in over when he came back to the nfl we never heard him say anything we never there was nothing there was no this came as a shock you know because we never heard anything there was never any like he never said he learned how to blend in he learned what to say and what not to say but he didn't actually change as far as we could tell. And he had the opportunity to share that. He didn't share it. And that was what was heartbreaking to me. And that's why not that many days ago, I reached out to you. like, let's do this thing this week. Because to me, it stirred up in those things in myself, Matt, to say, look, this isn't about learning what to say and what not to say. This isn't about when something happens in the news that we all agree, you know, or that most of us agree, I should say is bad to get on social media and say F racism. And then that's your contribution. Like, okay, like we agree, like, but, but why, but like how, you know what I mean? Like if we don't understand that part of it, if we haven't peeled back the layers in ourselves, you, you can be the person that every time that comes on, that that comes up, that gets on social media and says F racism or F racist or F this person or something like that. And that can be your contribution to it. And okay, fine. I get that. There's a, I get that there's anger, by the way, I'm talking to white people here, black people, You experience those things happen. You can vent your anger any way you want. I'm talking to white people here. Yeah. But if you want to be an ally and you actually want to help things move forward, you can choose whether to be angry and 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 vent, or you can choose to say, okay, let's talk, yeah. let's educate, let's help people grow. Do you want to be a part of a solution that actually helps us move forward as a society, or you just want to be mad? You just want to blend in. You just want yeah. to learn what to say or, and what not to say, or even or worse yet, feel like that. On some subconscious level, you want to show people that you're making some sacrifice by doing it. Yeah, you know? I mean, is I it grandstanding or yeah. is it real change? Yeah, because if, if it is, then help other people. Yeah, because you don't need to talk about how you're losing followers for yeah. what you do. You don't have to say I lost yeah. so many followers because I talked about this. You know that I've I actually I've realized that I I started unfollowing people who were doing that. During that yeah. time, I forgot about that a while, but yeah. I did that because I was like that you made it about you. You didn't make it about you didn't make it about the thing that's supposed yeah. to be about. And and that and for Gruden, that's why I related to him, because the fact that he didn't say it, he may I may be wrong, mm-hmm. but I, I wondered it made me wonder. I wonder if because of how he was raised and everything that he's doing and at the age he is that he didn't want to say anything because he knew deep down that he didn't know how to have that conversation. He had never had those conversations. He was afraid to have those conversations because he's he knew that he might ask something. And when he did venture forth, he asked the wrong person who didn't tr- trust him. And they shut down on him because of mm-hmm. him not being able to know what to ask and maybe not right. have done enough reading, enough searching enough at first and getting to know people. Because you can't just like... You can't get you can't just meet someone at a workplace and be a, a supervisor or a manager yeah. or a coworker and go, so let's talk about race today. 
You know, yeah. I mean, right. like that. You know, <laughs> you, don't know. Well. you don't know their kids. You yeah. don't know. You you haven't you haven't built any level of rapport or trust other than mm-hmm. doing tasks at work, even yeah. if the tasks are dangerous. You know, right. they're still impersonal. You know, right? So yeah, we'll get more into all of that. Yeah. No, it's a great point. I I think it's a great point. I think it, these conversations, again, this is just like trying to, 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 to reinforce to people that these conversations really matter. And although, yes, like I, we can go about each day as white people and kind of just get in our things and not have to worry about this, not have to deal with it. And then, you know, when something comes up in the national news, we can, we can comment on social media. We can do that part of it, you know, but I would just like to say to people again, because we're on this kick of talking to allies right now, like if we're talking yeah. to people who have started to understand it, feel like they've grown up in some of the environments that are maybe opposite of the ones I was describing and have some understanding of this and have some education on this and have the ability to share with people. And you're a white ally in that way. Take that seriously. Like take that seriously, that role that you have, that understanding you have, don't just be the person who tries to start fights on social media for cloud or says the easiest, you know, thing like if for, for cloud. In fact, you don't even have to you say what you want on social media. If you want to say something on social media, great. If you feel like you have something to add to this conversation, great. Some people do. And I think it's Mia Kime says the best stuff. Like when I mean, she just she has a perspective that I value and I I, I learn something when she speaks about the topic. And I think that's very important. I don't want people to be totally silent on social media about anything like this. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that. If it isn't in your real life when no one else is watching, you know, one of the things and I'll hopefully my wife comes on the show and we talk about her, but I'm so freaking proud of her because she has social media. She has all that stuff and she could do a lot of that stuff with social media and the spaces that she's been and the ways that she's been an influencer and things like that. And she like, she, I'm sure she'll say she absolutely says things when they need to be said and she shares things when they need to be shared. She amplifies the voices of others though, not her own. And in our community, that woman works tirelessly, tirelessly as a white person to try to bridge that gap, to build relationships with people of color that are leaders in the community and to bridge that gap with other people, other white people in our communities and wherever we've lived um, to make the, that change happen, to help people understand that haven't understood. I have seen her not be able to sleep. I've seen her get into it, like into the mess, Matt. You know what I mean? I like. Do. Be you know the yeah. the space that we're saying you can step out of at any point like she, you know to get into that and to be a part of those struggles with other people and a part of conversations that have broken her heart and broken the heart of people of color that she is close with and um, that has changed so but so I'm what I'm saying is I'm not trying to just talk about her up although she's amazing I love her but uh, but I'm trying to say also that what you do in those spaces when no one else knows when the world isn't watching when your thousands of followers aren't watching that is the like the, the stuff that life's really about like you may get in a conversation on twitter that changes the, the game for somebody and great if you do that that may happen but when you're in it with people and you're in it with people you love and people who already you have those relationships with i think of my family and all the debates and conversations and arguments and sometimes it has gotten wild matt and Hey, man, it's tough stuff. And I get sometimes nauseous when I know it's coming. Um, but it's tough stuff. Those are the conversations that you can change people within. Like, yeah, some guy on social media that barely follows you. Maybe. Maybe it happens. You know, hopefully this show is an example of you know, people being able to listen and learn some things, hopefully, um, including us, you know, hearing each other talk. But I think in your personal life, that's where it's – so when these things happen – you can run say things on social media if you have something to add to the space for sure. But I would just encourage people, are you as bold when it's somebody you love and you care about 
Um, are, are you willing to have those conversations at those points in times? And again, I'm talking to white allies here yeah. who see this thing as a problem, who are passionate about it. Educate yourself, know how to express that passion in a way that loves other yeah. people, helps other people grow. Yeah, don't shame. I would, that's my thing. If there's one mm -hmm. thing I would say, I don't like telling people what to do, but if I were to say one thing that I would say, please don't do is you can, it's easy to get angry but the more you shame people on social media out of anger or you insult them or you make those behaviors, the more, the less you are likely to help influence other people to get into a space where they are open enough to learn. Because as John eloquently talked about earlier about being open to learn and just taking a moment, if the fear is that any people are just going to shot you down for asking the wrong question or saying the wrong yeah. thing or making a mistake, you um, that doesn't help. And so it may make you feel good because you're frustrated. And you may even think to yourself, well, they're never going to learn. But yeah. you're hurting the people you want to be allies with because, again... The biggest allies often are the people who walked those steps, not the ones who supposedly knew better all along, yep. you know? Yep. And, and so, yeah, so we're going to, we're going to end on this note, but you know, this has been probably one of the best conversations that I've had with, with someone, you know, John, because of the fact that we could share this specific point of view two white people and not just the range of people who may disagree with us about that racism exists, but people who believe it exists, but maybe we disagree with how they can best be an ally. Yeah. And, and we'll, we're going to continue this. I think, you know, I, I have a feeling the next point, it seems like it's evolved to, we'll be talking about, you know, having those difficult conversations mm -hmm. and, yeah. and where we learned and how we had to, to learn that and what it involved the fear factor because for for me i can tell you it was the fear of losing family it was the mm -hmm. fear of losing people that you loved um and dealing with that that and i know that there are people who may on a remote level realize that if they acknowledge what they know in their heart to be true then that means yeah. that they are going to have conflicts with people who yeah. are most important to them. And that yeah. can be, and that's what, and that's one of many things we'll get into. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's been great to hear your perspectives and be able to share a little. And if people have questions, by the way, you see our Twitter handles right there, DM us. I know I've got open DMS and I'm the ability for people to reach out to me, ask questions. Uh, please do, you know, again, I'm not going to necessarily promise, you know, back and forth on the TL or anything with you yeah. about it. That's talking about a subject like race and 240 characters where tact and tone can't be uh, discerned. Uh, I yeah. can't think of a more useless you, endeavor. <laughs> yeah, I will go this way and say you can email me at MountWaltmanRSP.com. Yeah. I will say this. Um, I'm doing this show with John from my perspective because this is the way that I feel like I can help the most. I'm my life is just like John's is pretty jam packed. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of what I might 
want to be able to share will take time that I might not be able to make every day. Yes. So if I don't answer you or don't respond, understand that this is the best use of the time that I can provide and that you know maybe we can provide a reading list in and some things that we can share over the course mm-hmm. of time with this for people to have access to um, and go from there. Um, but because I'm not, you know, I just want to share my experience and where I've yeah. grown. And if you can connect to that, that's great. If you right. can't, I understand, you know, I understand. And I just hope that I'm maybe one step of many where you might go, huh? Yeah. And then maybe someone else is is that tipping point for you. Something yeah. else is that tipping point. And if this can serve as just a stepping stone towards that, then then I'll then I hope that that's what that can be. Yep, love it. I think it's well said. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, thanks everybody. You know, again, we appreciate those of you who are listening, and, and you know, we'll welcome your feedback. And and you guys have a good night. And uh, we'll t- we'll be back soon.